Welcome back to High Point Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church, and it is always a delight to be with you worshiping online. Uh, wherever you're streaming from today, welcome, especially if this is your first time here. I want to even make sure that you are aware you can text HPINFO, H-P-I-N-F-O, to 97000 from uh, your device, and uh, you'll get a text back that will help you take your next steps uh, in faith. Here, you can also drop a, a comment in the chat right now, and one of our volunteers will reach out to you. Uh, we want to help you take those next steps. Uh, we're delighted that you're here, and uh, would encourage you to take uh, every opportunity that you have to do that. Today, I want to speak to you about um, a little thing that we call heart problems. Uh, we've been we've been in the teaching series all about the heart, and. Uh, Here's the deal. There are three words that have dominated um, much of our culture's kind of emotional experience the past probably 12 to 24 months. Uh, and those three words sound a little bit like this. I don't care. I don't care. And here's what I mean by it. We have, we have hit so much just kind of emotional and spiritual tapping out. We've experienced so much, whether it's politics, right? You've just had it up to here. Whether it's coronavirus, where you're just, you got nothing left. You, you, you don't have any room to even talk about it anymore. You've seen so much, experienced so much, been bothered by so much. Vaccines, uh, same kind of a thing. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Racial tensions in our country. Um, we've been working through a lot, and sometimes we haven't really really even worked through it. We've just kind of experienced it and tasted it. We don't know what to do with it. And so emotionally and spiritually, we've just we kind of run out of room. And so the natural response is to just have nothing left to give and no more room to receive. And so when something else happens, you just say to yourself, I don't care. I just don't care. I can't care. I got nothing left here. And so whether you're a leader at work, uh, whether this is at church, whether it's with your family, uh, many times we're, we're experiencing things where our response is simply, I don't care. Now, as a pastor, obviously, I'm trying to lead people in, in their relationship with Jesus. And sometimes here's what it begins to look like, this I don't care experience. Um, worship no longer moves your heart. Right? You used to sing, you used to worship, you used to engage God, but you're just not moved by it. Opening the Bible, you're kind of indifferent to it. In fact, let's just be honest, you're, you're bored with it. Giving at church or giving to something, you know, where there's a need, it's, it's somebody else will take care of it. There's a need that, you know, that's just not going to do it. You just, you're not really moved by it. I don't really care. Right? Prayer feels like a drag. Personal convictions begin to slip. Going to church, I mean, I guess, sure. It's habit. All of it points to a heart problem of not caring. And this little word that we use to wrap all of this together with, this, this very sinister heart problem, is a thing that we call apathy. Apathy uh, is, is a monster 
that gets into your heart, but you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't even know it's happening until all of a sudden you just wake up and you feel kind of emotionally and spiritually numb. The technical definition for apathy is a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, uh, or a lack of concern. And to give us just some context here, I don't know if you followed the news as of lately, but in uh, literally in Philadelphia on a train, just this past week, a woman was assaulted. And I'm using, I'm using generic verbiage here because I know some of you have children that are sitting and watching with you and you may not want to get into some of the conversations that this might lead to. But when I say assault, imagine the grossest, greatest violation that a woman could experience from a man. And this is what she encounters on a train and is surrounded by other people as this is happening. And for 40 minutes, she is assaulted and no one does a thing. No one calls 911. No one tries to help. No one tries to assist. Why? Because people are apathetic towards the needs and problems and concerns of the world, not only for ourselves, but literally for other people. No one even called 911. How is something like this possible? When the police got on the scene, arrests were made, and they said it's one, it one of the most staggering accounts of indifference that they have ever seen. How does something like that take place? Well, it points to where we are as a culture and a society. We're apathetic. It's crept into our hearts. And when sin is this abhorrent, when sin is this readily in front of us, and it doesn't grieve us, it doesn't bother us, it doesn't stir us, it doesn't do anything on the inside of us, then it is apparent that apathy has taken root. I'll say it one more time. When sin doesn't grieve your heart, apathy has taken root. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. Is even as I'm preaching this and teaching this today, this is something that I deal with. It doesn't matter who you are. If you have a pulse and you're watching this, you have to guard your heart towards this. Because everyone's disposition, especially in, in cultural times like the ones that we're in, is, is to become desensitized. Because you see so much and have experienced so much, you simply become calloused to, to what God might want to do in your heart. And when we look at the Bible, we see this very same trend happening there as well. It's not just something that we're dealing with. When you, if you turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. And he says, I love this, he's complimenting them. He's cheering them on, this, this young church. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus... And your love for all God's people. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is giving these guys a big fat high five. Like, you guys are killing it. You're crushing it. Way to go. Ever since I've heard about you, I'm thanking God for you because you have a vibrant faith. That faith spills over for a love for Jesus and a love for others. Way to go. And then we get to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, it's about 35 years later. 
Okay, so Paul writes the church in Ephesus, and he's complimenting them. And then 35 years later, the apostle John has something else to say. And this is where we are. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you haven't grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, there's some, there's some language here that might be difficult for us to understand, but, but let's just get to the gist of the text here. There are things that the church in Ephesus is still doing that they're doing a great job with. They're working hard. They've persevered. You know, they've made it through some difficult times. They even still examine those who claim to be teachers. They're making sure that what they're teaching is still legit, right? And we see that trend actually happening also in the book of Ephesians. Once again, we see these themes all, uh, you know, connecting with each other. And yet 35 years later, there's one thing in particular this church in Ephesus has missed. And that vibrant faith that they were first complimented for is now the very thing that they have lost. They've forsaken. They, maybe they don't even know how they got to where they got, but somehow or another they have fallen. In fact, those words, that should put a shiver through our spine. Consider how far you have fallen. You've abandoned your first love. And yet there's all of these amazing things that are happening that are taking place. And yet it's not coming from a place of true affection and love and joy over what God has done in their life. So when you read the book of Ephesians, Paul compliments them. They, are, they were dead in their sin, but then they're overjoyed by being made alive in Jesus. The joy of the Lord was contagious amongst them. In a city that was defined by paganism and temple this, temple that, uh, th these people found faith in Jesus. They were dead in their sin, the trespasses of their sin, and yet found faith in Jesus. He brought them to life. They were new, made new. The old was gone, the new has come, and they couldn't shut up about it. They were so thrilled to be counted as God's chosen people. So there was joy that marked them, and somewhere over the course of 35 years, that joy disappeared. I think about us as a church, or wherever you're streaming from, right? Wherever, what, your living room, your couch, your, your bedroom, the church that maybe you're a part of, uh, if you're not locally a part of the one in person here. But like, we just, you know, we just went to an elementary school a few, few days ago, and, and we're you know, doing good things for the teachers there. We brought gifts and blessed the entire staff of 100 people, right, with snacks for conference week. And maybe your church has done something similar or, or whatever it might look like, good deeds of some kind. We want to be known for that, right? But it's really easy if you're not careful to be driven more by the work, uh, be, be driven more by Christian activity 
than actually being moved by the one that the Christian activity is for, Christ himself. And so, you know, we can be marked and defined and all these things that, that kind of, you know, make up the Christian life. And we look and we say, man, we are doing great. Things are going really well. And we have all this activity around us that would lead us to think that our faith is strong. And yet our heart has deceived us. There is a problem here. And that thing is apathy, where you have slipped in your heart in terms of your affection for Jesus. Oh, you know the habits of what a Christian looks like. But in terms of your heart still feeling affection for Christ, you've missed it. Missed it. I was out of town um, much of this past week. And, you know, I was with another church working with some of their, uh, their staff, their team, uh, preaching on Sunday, whatever, doing church stuff, <laughs> the ministry stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to, to preach, and uh, I have my iPad out, and I'm going over my notes one last time. Worship team's up there, and the worship team is crushing it. Okay, big team, music is loud, bass is thumping, you know, I'm into it, right? I got my iPad up and I'm reading through the notes of my message and yet my mouth is singing all the words to the song, right? The worship song as I'm jamming, reading this. And what's funny is I'm literally bopping here for you. <laughs> I eat, my hand even begins to go up, right? I'm reading the notes, my Mouth is engaged with the words, and my hand even knows what to do. Lift your hands. And I feel the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing? Like, we're getting ready to preach, God. Doing this for you. He's like, look, put your hand down. Stop singing for a minute. If you need to read your notes, read your notes. But don't pretend to worship if you're not really going to worship. I deserve better than that. Here I'm literally getting ready to go get speak. And I put my hand down and I stop moving my mouth. I look at my notes, then I turn my iPad off and I engage in worship. But what's interesting is how easy it was for the habit of knowing what to do to take over. And my heart isn't engaged in any way, shape or form. And this is how apathy begins to creep in. There's a disconnect between your emotions and your heart, obedience, and also worship. I'll put it this way, right? I just, this is a completely different example. I just had this conversation in Tennessee, right? Where I'm, where, where, uh, I'm, I'm having a conversation with somebody who's, who's been a Christian for a long time, and they're talking about the life that they wish they had kind of gotten in before they'd become a Christian, right? We were literally just having this conversation and they're like, man, I wish I had spent some, I wish I had, <laughs> this is literally the conversation. <sighs> now that I'm a part of a church and I have to give, I wish I had spent some money and gotten all these things that I really wanted because now I can't afford them. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, I think you might be missing the heart of generosity and the heart of giving and what worship through, through giving looks like. You're, you're, this, this is not a tax, 
right? This is not lawful. This isn't this, this heavy-handed thing. And we began to have this conversation and what peeled open in it. This is a close, this is a close friend was regret over the life they wished they had lived before they had come to faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. I want you to hear that. In other words, what we're saying is we, we long for opportunities to have engaged in a sinful life before coming to faith, which tells us that there is a, a significant disengagement in terms of what a loving relationship with Christ looks like and what sin should actually do on the inside of us. It should grieve our hearts. It should stir something inside of us. Rather than looking back at the old life, and I've got to tell you, I have done this, okay? I've done this. Where you look back and you think, man, wish I had when I had the opportunity. Now I'm a Christian. You know, as if as if this life is really lame, you know, and I, I had the opportunity, right? But that slipped by. Now I'm stuck here. I'm stuck in this relationship with Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, this is how many of us treat literally not just relationship with God, but our relationship with our significant others, even our spouses. We're like, oh, well, the right thing to do is to stay married. You know, it's the right thing to do. You would never say it out loud, but inside what you really are feeling is just, I know it's right, but I feel stuck. And there's no emotion. There's no passion. There's nothing that, that is engaging the two of you together. And this happens with God, happens in our relationships with each other. And we don't often call it what it is. And that is apathy. And it is dangerous it is a sneaky little monster. And when it gets into our hearts, a lot of times you just, you don't see it until you wake up and you just feel numb towards the relationship itself. So what do we do about this? You know, it, like any relationship, passion, it survives through intentionality. And now maybe you're watching and you've not put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian and you maybe you even stumbled upon this and you're, you know, you're watching the stream. I want you to understand this, uh, even in non-Christian terms, passion for anything survives and breeds and, and becomes what it becomes through intentionality. Now, you may not have intentionally like birthed passion in your heart for something, especially when it comes to faith or something that you just really love. A lot of times you don't know how it got there, right? You just, you just discovered it. Just, it just came upon you, right? You found that you were passionate about X, Y, Z. But generally speaking, if you want that passion to continue, to abide, to grow, well, you've got to be intentional about it. In the same way that you fell in love right? With somebody. Or maybe you will one day, right? Your heart is a flutter. You can't explain that. You can't just like, how did that happen? Well, how did that happen? It just happened, right? But if you want to maintain it, there comes a point where you have to be intentional about doing things about it. Or what is supposed to be a marriage just becomes two roommates living together. And this is what much of our relationship with Jesus looks like for a lot of us. What should be a vibrant relationship between God Almighty, 
the one who breathed the stars into existence, the one who died for you, who went to the cross and rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death. Let me say that again. He whooped sin and kicked death in the jaw. All right. He destroyed it. And he has given that gift to you and me. And many times we treat this relationship or <sighs> bored. Yeah. Worship. Yeah, that's a good song. Give, I guess, maybe some, you know, somebody else will probably do that. Prayer. Oh, I mean, I know, I know at high point we have this like prayer call on Wednesday mornings, but that is boring. It's prayer. And I mean, who wants to do that? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> do we not do this? Oh, don't think every Wednesday morning at 7.30 I wake up and I'm like, I cannot wait to do this. No, there are times too where I have to, I have to intentionally work past my heart drifting towards apathy. Right? This is what we, un we understand that passion survives through intentionality. Here's another way to say it in, in a church lens, a Christian lens, is that passion survives by responding to conviction. In my own life, I know for a fact, and I know it in yours, that many times when, when we talk about apathy beginning to, to come alive in your life, it starts with, with conviction knocking on the door of your heart and you just ignoring it and you disregarding it. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit by saying, no, thanks. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to do it this way. I'm not going to do that. And the Holy Spirit is, is beckoning you. Get in that Bible. Spend time praying. Oh, go, go talk to that person. Do what I'm asking you. You need to apologize. You need to repent. You need to make things right. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. When you stiff arm God and you stiff arm the Holy Spirit and you do that enough, guess what? Your heart starts to become calloused to God's presence and him beckoning and knocking on the door of your heart. I used to play guitar, right? And the more you play guitar, right? The first time you play guitar and you're done, maybe you played for like 20 minutes, your fingers feel like they're going to die, okay? Because why? Because you have no calluses. But the more you play, the more your the skin around your fingers, it becomes thick, right? And you can all of a sudden start moving up and down the frets and you're pushing the strings and it doesn't hurt anymore. There's no pain involved. And that's a good thing. Guitar players need that. But it's a really bad thing when it comes to your relationships. And the more you, the more you ignore what God is asking of you, the more callous your heart becomes until you just don't really feel much anymore. This is apathy. So what do we do? Psalm 119, David writes this, and, and if anybody understands the roller coaster of relationship with God, it's David, right? You, you, we can all learn so much from the life of David. He's been through it. He knows what it's like to be dry. He knows what it's like to be desperate for God. He knows what it's like to want God to show up, but God hasn't shown up the way he thought. He knows what it's like for things to be rocking and rolling and for his relationship with God to be vibrant and amazing. And yet also to have valleys and dry spots 
and dark moments. So Psalm 119, he writes, and David does this. He loves to write about other people sometimes. He says, their hearts are callous and unfeeling. But I delight in your law. It's a great prescription. He says, their hearts are callous and unfeeling. They don't feel anything. Why? Because there's no delight any longer in God's law, his word. We we back it up to the beginning Uh, in Psalm 119, verse 9. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? How is this even possible? By living according to your word. By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. You can hear the pleading in his heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I I will not neglect your word. Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey you. Open my eyes that I may obey your word, that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. We see, David, there is a hunger and a thirst that's happening here. He recognizes that a callous heart comes from no longer loving God's word, no longer obeying God's word. And so he is pleading with God to open his eyes and help him. Help me to love your word. Help me to follow your word. God, I'm taking this word and I'm hiding it deep down in my heart because I don't want to sin against you. I know I don't want to sin against you here, but help me to not sin against you here. God, help me. I love you. I know I love you here in my mind. But help my heart to do the same. How do I do that? By choosing to obey your word. Diminished passion almost always begins with diminished obedience. Where obeying God just doesn't seem to matter that much anymore. I mean, after all, is it really that big of a deal? Is it really that big of a deal that I'm talking about that person behind their back? Honestly, are they really going to find out? Is it that big of a deal? Is it really that big of a deal that I pop off in this text thread right now? Honestly, give full vent to my emotion. Is it that big of a deal? Is it that big of a deal that I am really hard on my kids and I just exasperate them, wear them out, that I'm yelling at home, that I ignore my spouse or ignore my kids? Is it really that big of a deal that I'm walking past the word of God and just don't engage with it at any point in time? Is it that big a deal? And the answer is yes. 
Yes, it is. When we don't respond to the Holy Spirit, our passion is going to end. When we choose to disobey, and let's call it what it is, it is disobedience. It just doesn't have the magnitude in our minds that we oftentimes feel like disobedience should have. You didn't kill anybody, right? You weren't the person on the, on the train in Philadelphia who was ignoring a heinous crime. So after all, you're a pretty good person and things are going pretty well for you. Except you're still disregarding what God is trying to do. An apathetic heart is always accompanied by a diminished love for God's word. And these two things go together. When we don't love to obey, I can promise you we don't love God's word. And if we don't love God's word, we're going to have a hard time obeying. These, it's, they go hand in hand. And the, the, the tension here is that you hear a message like this and you're like, okay, what you're telling me is I need to read my Bible. No. Although I do want you to read your Bible. So read your Bible. What you have to actually begin to do is make a choice. And it's a choice that might need to be produced from your heart. That doesn't, it isn't accompanied by emotion and it isn't accompanied by feeling. It's literally a choice that you are making to obey God regardless of how you feel. It, if, if, you're, if apathy is your issue, you're not just suddenly going to have a flood of emotion. And so what you have to begin building back into your heart are habits of obedience and habits of worship and habits of legitimate engagement with God where he is allowed the opportunity to cut through that callous heart. And that begins with obedience and it begins with repentance, which is what David writes about. Or excuse me, it's what Paul writes to, to, to uh, it's what John writes in Revelation. <laughs> that we need to be repentant for abandoning our first love. You've got to hear this. Apathy is sin. And we have to repent for it. And when we hunger for God, and when we choose in a message like this, we, we, we don't, you don't choose conviction to happen, but you're beginning to feel it knock on the door of your heart again. Well, what do you do? You respond. You confess your sin to God and you turn from it. And then you begin to do the things that you once did, which is what John writes about. What does he say? You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And this is where we are. If you want to deal with a heart problem of apathy, then it begins by repenting and doing the things that you did at first. What did you do at first when you first came to God? You were thankful. You prayed. You, were, you, you had a grateful heart. You read the Bible. Simple things. You obeyed Him. Oh, you were, you were relentless on anything in your heart that even came close to being called sin. You didn't want, it, you didn't want anything to do with it. But as you became familiar and as things become tired in your heart and soul, well, those things begin to wane. Repent. Turn back to him and begin to do the things you did at first. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in this moment. God, that you desire us to have 
real relationship with you. Relationship where, where we obey. Relationship where we feel and there's passion and there's emotion. And yes, God, we recognize that's going to look different for everybody. But Lord, we should have hearts that are engaged in worship to you. God, help us. Help us to be the kind of people who hold fast to our first love, our love for you, that you have reached down from heaven and changed us. You have cha- you've moved us from darkness into your wonderful light. Let us not be a people who forget it. Let us not be a people, uh, Lord, who, 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 who wander from the truth or who simply have God motions and habits of worship, but our heart is still unengaged. Help us to be men and women who are fully devoted to you, Lord. Or we choose to repent today. We turn from apathy right here, right now. And we invite fresh conviction to flood our hearts. And we thank you that in your word, in Psalm 139, David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father, lead us in the way. Lead us in the way. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here uh, this week. Thanks for taking the time uh, to worship with us online, praying for you to have a life and a heart that is fully engaged in relationship with God. Reject apathy this week and let's get after it. I'll see you right here next Sunday.